podcast is brought to you by Sugaton. Sugaton Effect Podcast, a podcast dedicated to e-commerce growth. On the show, we interview business owners, media buyers, CRO specialists, and growth experts to help scale your business to seven and eight figures. The podcast is brought to you by Sugaton, performance experts in the e-commerce industry. Let's increase your ROI. Hey guys, and thanks for joining for yet another podcast episode with me at Sugatan Effect Podcast. So this today, I actually had the Eurek Nettle uh, for the second time on this podcast. And as you can see, I have people for the second time for a quite quite a few times already, just because these people are crushing it and I'm super related to them. And I know the numbers they are doing, you know, and it's incredible what they are all doing. So today in the podcast, uh, we discussed how to be crushing it in Europe. Once again, Yura has a superpower to be scaling brands in uh, Europe and especially in Eastern Europe. And for those who don't know, um, you can be basically making the same amount of uh, amount in revenues what you're doing in the US, for example, market by combining all of the countries in the Eastern European markets, just because the the prices are cheap down there, CPMs are low, just the entry point is pretty high because you have to know all of the markets in, in and out, um, payment processors, uh, infrastructure, and all of that. But Yura knows that, so that's what I was picking his brains on. And as well, he told me the launch strategy that he uses for one of the brands he's working with. Uh, serving, really cool. Uh, I'm actually just straight after this podcast, I'm going to be serving my customers because I forgot to do that. And sometimes easy things are the most, uh, the easiest ones to forget. So enjoy this podcast episode. It's pretty long. So keep up with us because there are lots of golden nuggets in there so thanks again and enjoy listening to our podcast hey yuri thanks for joining me for this podcast i've been trying to get you on this podcast again for the second time right maybe for the last two months or so so finally you came here (laughs) yeah yeah finally we have a chance to talk it's great to be here david thanks for the invite Thanks a lot and uh, for jumping on this podcast as well on Sunday. I, I'm not sure whether you work on Sundays. For me, Sunday is like a catch-up day, you know, like a uh-huh. catch-up day and planning the whole weekend. Like sometimes I squeeze in like a podcast or something like that, mm-hmm. like something that I know that it will be difficult for me to do during the week. How is uh, Sunday for you like? Yeah, usually I actually take Saturday off and then I would say like uh, half of Sunday it's off and then the second Uh, Half of Sunday, it's like planning for the week and maybe read uh, more course or listen to courses, read some books, talk to some awesome people just to get the new ideas. So I would say, yeah, um, Sunday is 50-50, work and 50% pleasure, how, how would you say it? Yeah, for me, I found it like I'm doing this for maybe two and a half years and I find it that I have a massive advantage because... On Monday, you cannot plan anything because everyone is mm. like just trying to to grab your attention and not let it go, you know. And something, something maybe like breaks in the business, and you have to be fixing it. While on Sunday, you can have so much time and you can think clearly without any interruptions and make sure that you are prepared for the week. Yeah, yeah, I would totally agree with you because on Monday you have to be a fireman, man. Because uh, you never know what the weekend brings, and usually my Mondays are like, okay, this broke on uh, during the weekend, this, this, this. We have these meetings that were not planned during the week. So yeah, it's great to actually take some time on 
Sunday and just plan some things out uh, so the week can actually go more smoothly. Yeah, awesome. So Yura, let's go into like maybe juicy stuff. So I had you yeah. maybe on the podcast, I don't remember, maybe a year ago or so. Over a year ago, you came to Vilnius to visit me and then we had a podcast maybe in a month or two. Mm-hmm. And since then, you started your agency and you grew to mm-hmm. to not many clients, but you keep very high quality. But what's ast- like astonishing is the level of growth your clients experience. Like some of them I know grew from zero, almost, I think from zero or very low revenues. And now we're hitting like seven figures plus in the, in monthly revenues, which is awesome you know like only in one year tell me how did your year go yeah it was actually it was pretty crazy i think we actually met like yeah more than one year ago and we shoot the podcast i think 11 months ago something like that and i was just starting uh, back then with uh, the we scale agency and the process was pretty interesting because at the beginning you know i was actually just uh, moving from being uh, CMO in the e-commerce business where I was actually managing, my team was actually managing like between 1.5 to 2 million pent per month. And it was pretty crazy. The company was growing super fast. And then I actually took some time off, three to four months. During that time, I think we also met. So I first reached out to you via Facebook. And then you told me that you're in Lithuania, then we met, it was awesome. And my plan was then to just create a agency, but not a typical performance agency, but trying to be more like a boutique agency and uh, work as a outsourced, uh, mar- I would say similar to outsourced marketing department. So that we wouldn't only specialize in media buying or in creatives, but to be like an outsourced marketing partners for the e-commerce businesses that we work with. And uh, first I, I have everything, uh, like I had the vision. I knew that uh, where I wanted to go in the journey, but then the interesting part actually came when I was, I need to actually build up the team. So uh, when I was, uh, building the team, I look for the people that were in the e-commerce and digital marketing space for at least one year, because I saw uh, during my past experience that this is uh, the sweet spot. So they actually joined the team with a little bit of experience and you can actually teach them your system and uh, they can actually expand their knowledge pretty, pretty fast. And I actually onboard uh, two team members and hired I think it was actually two video editors who were actually working as an outsourced remotely. And then the fun part actually was starting when uh, you need to find the right clients. And uh, at the beginning, uh, I think you would actually agree with me because I think the the toughest part when you're actually uh, searching for the right projects or partners is usually not the product, but it's usually the people that you work with. Because we found uh, it's only one year, but we found in so many cases that company had a great product. They had a huge market. They had great feedbacks from the customers, but the vision of the founder is not there. So I think in our case, we actually needed three to four months to filter down which are the right partners or people that we want to work with. And then we started like working with them when they, they were pretty early in the process, 
like you mentioned, one of the clients that we have right now for more than one year. So I actually started working with them one month before I uh, founded WeScale Agency and they were actually making 5K per month. So one year later, right now they're doing 2.1 million euros per month. So it was really an awesome journey. That's crazy. Yeah. Like in one year, it's like uh, I yeah. I haven't experienced that kind of growth. I think like similar, but to 2 million is like big. Obviously, COVID helped you a lot as well, right? Yeah, at, on one part, it was COVID. But to tell you the truth, we actually had on this project, we uh, were actually making such a small number. So we started working in November. So in November, it was the first month. So we actually grew from 5K to 30K the first month. Then the second month, it was 60K, then was 100K. And so the quantity of the purchases were not there on the monthly basis. And obviously they didn't have the inventory to actually, and when the COVID hit for here in Europe, it was a huge spike was the second half of March the whole April and the first part of May. And uh, during these two months, they were out of stock for one and a half months. So we could only... Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, well, so now yeah. we, you would be speaking about 4 million per month, not 2 million per month. <laughs> yeah, I think, but they were such early in the process and they didn't have the inventory yet. So the business was also bootstrapped. So they didn't have a huge investment to invest in stock. So we actually work with them during the, when the COVID hit, like during these two months. So, and when we ordered the new inventory, we actually planned like to increase the sales, like three to four times when the inventory actually came. And we used this time when we actually had out of stock. So it, we weren't like 100% out of stock, but we lost all the best sellers. And we were like uh, having really funny budget. So we spent it like, I would say like 10K per month and they generated like 150K. So the ROAS was 15 or something. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, it was funny. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was really funny. And I was just thinking every day, like um, the first week or two when they were out of stock, I was just thinking about, oh, what kind of crazy numbers could we actually hit if we have the inventory? And we just used this time to actually analyze the customer to make uh, many surveys. So we actually segmented the customer, the customer groups uh, with the ones that actually purchase one time, two times, three times. Then we surveyed them to get the feedback, to understand what are the right angles for us, what are the benefits that the trigger the most. We also analyzed them, which influencers are they uh, do they follow. We work really hard on the email marketing side and uh, created a structure for the content creation and for the product launches. Can we stop here? Because I'm yeah. very curious, what kind of questions were you asking your customers? I wouldn't actually be able to tell you all of them, but we were asking them what, uh, which benefit uh, of the product made you buy or what do you uh, love most about the product, which, where did you found about the product? I think it was also like, uh, which influencers do you follow? What was, I think we actually had like 15. The influencer one is good. I haven't done it myself with influencers. It would be good to ask them. Yeah, it's for the influencers. Yeah. 
I think it's really important, especially in our case, because we deal with so many different markets. The most of the clients actually come out of Europe and we start usually with the smaller countries and then we go country by country. And usually a challenge for us is not the localization uh, side or the part of the logistics, customer support, translations. Usually the hard part comes down to, do you know the market on the influencer size that you actually are targeting to. So I think this is a really good approach for the discovery to know which are, are the influencers that they follow. And when you get like 100 to 200 answers out of them, you just look for the names that actually appear more frequently. And uh, the second part that, uh, that I also think you will like is the surveys for the customers that already bought from us like two times. We also, for the product launches, we ask them, so we prepare the photos and different options of what kind of products can we, can we actually introduce to the market. And then we would say, which of these products would you like most? So we actually offer them like 30 different uh, variables of the product. And then they just clicked, uh, we use type for, for that. And then they just clicked which products will they be most likely to buy. So this was also a good feedback for us to introduce new products. So it was combination like, okay, these are the product, these are the influencers, let's make this work in the upcoming months. Yeah, and this is a major mistake that most of the founders do and I still, I'm struggling with founders still like telling them, you don't need to be creating product. You just need to be asking people what they want and you just build it out of that, that's it. No, nothing you know too crazy like you don't have to be creating new completely ideas or anything you just need to ask the customers what they are actually willing to buy and one question for you Yura, about uh, surveys do you bait uh, your customers somehow like hey fill the survey up and we're gonna give you a discount or you just say like hey can can you help us out or something like that well, we actually, for the first, the buyers that uh, bought for the first time, we usually offer them a discount code at the end. But for the ones that are look uh, that bought from us like two, three, four times or more, uh, usually they love that they are included in the process. So we don't need to actually offer them. And one very simple thing that we usually do at the end of the survey is the, to ask them, is there anything else that you want to tell us? and just uh, offer them like free space to speak up their mind. And this is the last question. In the most cases, actually provide us with the biggest value. And it was really funny when we were actually working on this case with the founder and they have listed like, I think they had eight different USPs for the product. And when we started working with them, we asked them which USPs are the most important. And he said like, look, these two are the most important, all of the customers are buying product because of these two benefits. And then we make the survey and we found out that the one, the, the founder actually thought that these two were the first one, but it turns in reality, it turns down that these were the fifth and the sixth most important USPs based on 1000 different answers. <laughs> so it was a great feedback for us because I also agree with you that in many cases, Usually a, a founder or also in our case, like when we do the advertising, we fall in love or we think that we know, we know what is going to work. 
on the hook level, on the copy level, on the creative level. And it's really important like to be curious and ask the customers and trying to just to get more uh, data from them and test new things. Uh, because usually for us, it usually comes down that the feedbacks that we get from the customers, the most cases work better than the briefs that we get from the founders. Yeah, and I totally agree with you. It's always the case, especially for us, since at least our customers are 95% of women, I would say, like we are selling products for women. And for me to understand the customer really well, like I will never get there, you know, like it's mm -hmm. it's very difficult to, to get there. So I need to invest quite a bit of time to understand the customer and read books maybe that they read, try to read the mm -hmm. journals that they read and all of that, although like I'm not the most excited, you know, to be reading like women's health or any, <laughs> any, any kind of magazine like that, you know, but still, or Cosmopolitan or any of the magazines, but it's still necessary. If you are a marketer and selling to that demographic, you have to kind of do that. David, as I can actually imagine you when you type me that you read a lot of books, in reality, you just read the Cosmopolitan the whole day, right? <laughs> yeah, like uh, it's actually like this deciphering the whole, you know, it's like another language that I'm learning. Mm -hmm. I go there and mm -hmm. they use like all of these abbreviations, of course, AF, you know, like I'm like, oh, I, it took me some time, like, what, what does it mean? You know, like AF, oh, as fuck, you know, like... <laughs> And I didn't think that our audiences use these words, but they use, although like it's a bit uh, um, younger demographic that uses mm. uh, these kind of <laughs> abbreviations, but still like fascinating to learn. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Um, so Yuri, I have lots of questions for you. So your superpower is localization for each one of the countries. And you recently told me that um, like you're looking into multiple Eastern European countries and they are so underserved. Like uh, there is so much mm. low hanging fruit down there. And, and as I understood, you scale this brand only in Eastern Europe, mostly, at least from what I know. Yep. Um, what's the approach right now? Are you still doing like localization um, on the website level and uh, everything there as well? Like how do you approach it now? Yeah, I think it actually comes down to just the beginnings of my career or my journey it was actually i come from slovenia it's a pretty small country so i think it's even smaller than yours david how big is lithuania the population yeah, there three million people okay yeah <laughs> okay so we have two there so you actually have you have a big market for us so yeah, I was actually uh, starting just advertising in Slovenia and the fun part actually comes down. It's pretty easy to uh, get the first results. You can actually get to 50K, 100K per month. If you come to like 300K per month, you're a superstar here. <laughs> but if you want to go uh, beyond that, you actually need to open new countries. During my whole career, uh, it was actually like, okay, which country is next? And usually we didn't look uh, for the Western part of the Europe or US. We usually uh, looked for the Eastern part of the uh, Europe. And uh, for us, it was usually like, okay, we need to go from Slovenia to Croatia, then to Hungary. So we look at the map and just see, okay, this country is uh, next to Slovenia or this country is the next to the country that we are present in, let's try this one. And uh, use, the first approach was actually, yeah, it's easier to get to advertise in English. 
my hypothesis was to actually that people, the younger generation knows English, they will be able to buy with the English language. And we started advertising uh, the Eastern part of Europe, Poland, Czech Republic, Slovakia, Hungary, and the results were terrible. So we didn't hit, the ROAS was below one. <laughs> so it was the best decision for us was to turn off the ads and okay, what, what can we do about it? Then we say, okay, uh, what are the problems? The problem was that uh, we, lo we lost like 70 to 80% of the market because we only advertised in English language. And the, our target group was between 25 to 50 years old. So it was pretty broad. I'm always looking at the product products that have a pretty broad targeting. So it was like, okay, we need to localize it. So we, then we changed the language. Then the next step was, okay, what else is bothering them? And then it was like, okay, yeah, the shipping time is terrible. So the shipping time was seven to 10 days. How can we actually make this to go to two to four days? Okay. Then we found local, local logistics, or we found the new international partners to be able to bring the packages faster to the country that we were targeting to the countries that were like, um, further away from the country, the comp the company was coming from, we used free PLs and shipped the packages from there. And the third part was the payment methods. So at the Eastern part of Europe, I think companies are afraid of it because a lot of purchases are actually made like uh, with cash on delivery. And usually the companies want to uh, like uh, use Klarna, PayPal, credit cards and so on, or pay later. But the Eastern part of the Europe, yeah, the most used payment methods is obviously the cash on delivery. But for this, this was not like um, the, the biggest challenge. We, can, we know that, okay, this is necessary to be selling on this market. And we found out that the Eastern part of the Europe is much cheaper for advertising. E-commerce is growing super fast there. And if we could actually implement the stuff that you, David, does, John, Fares, and so on are doing, those advanced stuff that you do in US, the, if we do this on the Eastern part of the Europe and combine this with localization, we know that we can crush it. And we just build up the system there. I also have the last company that I work in. We were just focusing, the majority was in the Eastern part and the Central Europe. So I know that this is something that companies are able to do. And then it was just like going step by step. And the project that you mentioned, yeah, we grew like to 2.1 million euros per month with only in Eastern part of the Europe. And if you, if I am talking to someone that is advertising on the Western part of Europe or in US, they say like, uh, I don't believe you, this is not possible because there are so, so small markets, but if you combine those small markets together, and think about that there is less competition there. And cheap. if you, yeah. yeah, yeah, pretty cheap. And you, you applicate the same knowledge that you have and combine this with localization, you can crush. Yeah, that's fascinating. That's such a low hanging fruit. And uh, although like I do see it's actually like you made it more complicated. It's not more complicated. Yeah, it is actually more complicated <laughs> to enter the market yeah. because you have to know each one of the markets, right? So it's 
you don't have so many risks that your competitors will come and uh, like uh, take the products from there. And by the time they come, you probably will have you know acquired all of the audience on there because you work with four clients and like four four brands. So that and if you're spending you know like five hundred k or something on each one of them per month, they are seeing ads all over the place, like all over the place. I'm just super interested you know like you're generating 2.1 million euros so it's like around 2.6 dollars per month right and it's only eastern europe so european european markets are crushing it and actually that's what we are seeing as well on the agency Mm -hmm. level is that american the american ones are kind of like they are not going out of business or anything but they are like stable you know it's not we're not growing but European clients, whoa, they are crushing it right now. And as you said, you know, like you confirmed as well that that's it's it's crazy. Like European market has opened up for e-commerce. They they were probably I don't know, it wasn't ready and now it is. <laughs> yeah, and also David, as if you just think about yeah, if you compare the numbers, like if you compare the European numbers versus the US numbers, you can actually look at this, okay, yeah, I'm generating like in US, I'm generating 2 million per month. But if you generate 2 million per month in the eastern part of the Europe, and let's say for us, it's like in one country, we actually, we generate 1 million per month. But this country is only 10 million people. So uh, yeah. just imagine what kind of a big player we are there. And what kind of branding do we actually create in this country? Because if you look at this, uh, if you would look at this like uh, US, US is, I think, 320 million people, right? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And if you look at this, like if you combine three or four countries together and the total population is maybe like 50 million and you can actually generate it like two or three million on... Yeah, it's yeah. just imagine what kind of branding you also create. Just yeah, it's cheaper, but for me it's also like really important to not be just expanding to other markets and just look at the total but what kind of numbers do you actually generate on the country level? Because in our case if we if we generate like in Slovenia, if we generate like 400k per month, we are a huge player here. But if we generate in US 400k we are a small company there but no, here, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so it i think it's also really important there uh, i also think in your case that you were talking about like just being in europe and only have like not the whole europe but the part of europe and you generate maybe like 70 or 60 percent in one or two countries well, imagine what kind of branding do you also create in those two countries and how how high retention rate you can actually get if you invest heavily there and also having the returning customer also your email marketing can be crushing it organic google ads on the search level can be crushing it so i think it's really important like to keep in mind what kind of share of the market are you actually taking i wonder what's the opportunity in china right now or japan or any of these countries can you imagine for me, at least, it seems, you know, the power is going there, like the, the mon- monetary power. Uh, it seems that Chinese people, you know, have like a means to be buying all of these products. Imagine if you advertise on there right now. Mm-hmm. I really believe that, like from uh, what I speak, uh, 
like I I do have this one friend who is a startup. Um, um he's like in a startup community. He belongs to this Mexican uh, startup network, whatever. And he used to work in China, and he was in charge of innovations for big companies. You know. So he would innovate products, basically. And he told me that like Chinese are actually even a few levels above now the U.S. market because they got all of the knowledge from Europeans, from Americans, you know, who were coming down there. They took it and now they're running with it. So I can only imagine what kind of e-commerce numbers you can be achieving down there, especially since it's one language for one billion people, you know. Like mm-hmm. English, what is spoken by 350? I mean, it's UK and like lots of Europeans are speaking English, but still it's not 1 billion. I don't think so. Maybe 700 million and not all of them are wealthy. All, obviously in China is the same, but China, India, whatever countries. Actually, for one of the brands that we worked with, Brazil was one, uh, like after the US, Brazil was the main country just before COVID hit. So What? Really? Oh, yeah. awesome, man. But uh, import taxes are killing it in Brazil, like um, twice or a third times sales price, right? Are the yeah. something like that, right? Yeah, yeah, like really, really high. I don't know, maybe not twice, but fifty percent or something like that. Okay. Like super high, anyway. Like I would, I live in Mexico, so whenever I buy something in in the U.S., for example, and they send it to my home, I pay extra thirty percent. You know, so. It's like, it sucks. <laughs> it's like a lot, you know, that you have to pay. And I guess it's in the same in Europe, right? Like if you don't have all of the infrastructure so that your customers don't are not paying the taxes on that, like they would be disappointed. Yeah. Davis, I have an idea for you. Why don't you open a fulfillment center in Brazil <laughs> for your client? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, actually, I'm uh, actually maybe in two weeks that I have to go back uh, from Dubai. I am considering uh, hopping to Brazil for a month or so. Yeah, Want yeah. to uh, to see what's the situation down there. <laughs> cool. Uh, Yure, yeah. let's go further. So remember, we had this mastermind like a, a week ago, not a week ago, four days ago, and uh, I had some questions prepared. So I wanted to ask you these same questions, actually. And you can answer them really rapidly or we can uh, stay along, like stay for a bit and answer them like okay. uh, in a bit yeah, more extensively. So first question, have you tested anything recently that has worked for you? Yeah, I think well, during the mastermind, I think we were actually pretty on the same page. So what worked pretty well for us was uh, influencer dark posts. I know that uh, John Hagen is somewhere laughing right now <laughs> because we were just discussing about, yeah, this is really crushing it for us. So this is one approach that we also want to work on during 2021. So this is one thing. One thing that is also performing pretty well for us is that, like I mentioned, so we work with businesses that sell branded products so i usually prefer to call them branded products not brands because i think we are not there uh, to call ourselves a brand at this point because for me a brand is a company that can just turn off the ads and products are selling themselves but one thing that was a challenge for us 2020 was like working with influencers in other countries that we are not familiar with. So let's let's just take Poland, for example. So for us, it was really challenging to find the right influencers that would sell pro- the, with their promo codes directly and be profitable. 
And uh, what we tried was we use like different tools, check out the engagement rate, check out what kind of following do they have, if they are fit for our guidelines of the company that we want to work with, uh, that they are similars to, similar to influencers that perform in the um, current uh, country that we operate. And we just tried this like with the local team here in Slovenia and the results were not good. So we weren't profitable there. So one thing that we started testing was to, on our end, to have like an influencer marketing manager on our end. And her task was actually to find local influencer marketing specialists, like in Poland. She found one person that would be in charge of a Polish influencer marketing. And she was actually given a budget guidelines. So the Slovenian influencer marketing manager gave her the guidelines and she, so the Polish girl actually knew the market and she was actually, she know the reality shows, which influencers were actually um, trending on the markets, what kind of uh, companies do they work with? So she had a lot of insights on the local level. So we tested this and the results, I would say, were so far are 70 to 80% better on the sales level. And on for us, this is a huge step because we know if we trying to find these specific people in the big, big markets that we want to target and we want to position ourselves as a, a great business there and want to work on the retention, also product launches there. I think this was one thing that was really uh, effective for us. And I'm looking forward to actually build up on this structure in 2021. So th this was one thing. I think we will also go to influencer dark post from there on. So on one end, we already are using the influencer dark post, but also the challenge that we have was that some of the influencers don't allow us uh, to run ads in different countries that they are right now, because uh, some of them are actually communicating in local languages. And the challenge there was to actually, how, how can we use like this uh, um, influencers from Czech Republic? How can we use them in, let's say Hungary, that it's total, um, total new language. So I think this, the localization part with the influencer marketing specialists work amazing for us. And one thing that haven't changed since the last time that we talked were the content creators, content creator base that we have. But I don't know, David, as if you want to go deep on that or not. Content creators, meaning that they are creating content for you and you are able to use them, uh, use the content, right, on your ad. Yeah, yeah. How's that working still? Is it working still? Have you found really good? Yeah, yeah for us, it was like, uh, usually the structure is, we use uh, the app in Flui uh, that I also mentioned in the previous podcast to actually get uh, traction and to find the influencers, usually like the smaller ones, micro influencers. Uh, for the biggest ones, we usually found them by hand. So just searching Instagram, researching the competitors on the market, the brands that we look up to. And uh, then we we see like during the first collaboration with them, we see that, uh, okay, they can produce like really good content for us. Then the next step for us is explain them the content creation structure that we have. So like, okay, let's uh, start uh, 
uh, you can become our content creator. Uh, we will send you like three to five products per month. You will provide us with three videos, five photos per product. Uh, you will get paid like per image and per video. And uh, we start, usually we start with 10 to 15 content creators. And then each month we cut down like uh, the ones that were not performing well. And we add like three to five more. And the upside for us is also like, because we are an agency, we can actually use those content creators for several different projects. So we know that which is actually, we have the database, which people can actually produce really good content at the affordable price. And uh, then we can also like when we onboard new client or we need more content for the existing partners, we just um, reach out to the content creators that we use for the, let's say our biggest project and just say, uh, do you have the capacities to uh, create more content? And usually these people are really loving the offer that they give, give us and we give them the opportunity to get paid not only for posting, but also for the content creation. That's awesome. But equally, now it's important to be learning what didn't work for you in the past month or past uh, six months. Yeah, for the past six months, it was, I think, uh, one of the biggest lessons that we had was that we didn't, uh, on some of our partners, we didn't look very carefully about the inventory that they were uh, ordering. So just uh, forgetting about what kind of quantities can we actually sell on the daily, on the monthly basis. And uh, the majority of our partners actually order stuff from China. And with the Chinese New Year ahead, they didn't have enough stock. And for one project, we actually planned everything. We had the whole, uh, we have the whole plan for January with the product launches, influencer dark posts, opening new markets. So we had the plan to go like 3x from December. But the reality was that they didn't have the inventory to actually sell those kind of numbers, to actually hit these revenues that we were planning for. And it was like at the end of the December where we were like super hyped about the Black Friday, December sales. Also like the last week of December was amazing for us. And then we say, okay, what kind of inventory do we have? And they showed us that if we keep up the pace, we will sell out in two to three weeks. And our plan was to actually go 3X. <laughs> so this was one hard lesson for us and we need to adapt. We actually created like, we, we created like Google Sheets to take the numbers from the Google Analytics to calculate the average sale per scoop. And then we also like export the inventory, put them together. And right now we have up to date Google Sheets where we can actually see which product, do, uh, how much stock do we have per, prod, per product. And also and, uh, if we keep up the pace, how many days this stock will last. So we created this like uh, the combination to actually be so each of the team members can actually see and we plan like keeping in mind that we also need physical products to scale. So this was one thing. The second thing was, I think also like don't jump on new channels too fast. I think this was the second thing for us. So for us, it was like, which, which channel was it for you that you jumped into too quickly? 
Yeah, so for us, it was like the combination between, and last year, I think everyone was talking about TikTok, Snapchat. So we said like, yeah, let's let's try TikTok. Let's try to, to scale. There's a new audience there. And I didn't do the research to found, for me, it's really important to actually found at least like three different brands who do this and are profitable. So when I look at this, then when looking back, I was looking at like different TikTok profiles and I saw, yeah, the, the ones that had like huge following base and huge organic, I still haven't found a single person that would say, yeah, like we spend the 500K on TikTok and we got like rows three or four. I still was not able to find this one person. And I think the lesson for me was, okay, I don't want to be the first on the channel. I, I will actually wait so the others get traction and then I will try to monetize the different channel. And in our case, still the projects are at the early beginnings. So it's easy to get like, because I think that when you read about something new, it could be like uh, TikTok, Clubhouse, something else maybe, it's easy to fall in love with the new things. And maybe the things that actually right now are making the majority of your money uh, can look boring because you've been looking, you've been doing this like for one year, two years, five years, and you know that this stuff work. But I think for for me, at least, I think that uh, the it's dangerous. For me, it's actually dangerous to read about some different channels because I know that my focus should be about how can we improve on the existing channels. Because I know that I, when I was in my last company, I always had in mind like, look, Wish, you know, the Wish, uh, the platform was in 2018, they were spending 2 million per day on Facebook. So if they can spend 2 million and we are spending, let's say uh, 500K oh, per month, <laughs> we have a lot of room to grow. So why not double, why for me, I want to double down on the existing channels because I wouldn't say that we are the best at, we are good at, but we have a lot of room to grow there. So for me, it's like master Facebook ads, master email marketing. One big lesson for me was also like uh, Google ads. I, I think you also wrote down in the mastermind, but I didn't, I think we didn't have a chance to, to talk about it, but I think I actually had the similar experience as you. So for me, it was like, okay, I want to expand on other channels and the biggest channels besides Facebook, when you look at it on spend wise, for me was Google. So, okay, I want to spend on Google. And we started testing Google and the results were when I look at it on the weekly or daily basis, the results where the Google was showing us were awesome. But in reality, our profitability as a project dropped. Yeah, exactly the same experience, exactly the same. Yeah. So we had a challenge with different attribution channels. So we look at it separately, Google, separately, Facebook, separately, Clavio. And we found out, yeah, all of the channels work amazingly. Also, influencers work amazingly. But we forgot about like looking at the whole picture together because I think it, at the end of the 
today it's the most important how much profit does a business generate and when i talk to uh, founders they don't care if if oh yeah google is showing this amazing results at the end of the day they just are curious about what is our plan that draws and how much profit do we generate and how you are going to get there is up to you and when i analyze it i found out that we were just like uh, retargeting heavily on google on the traffic that we uh, that we actually produced with facebook ads and the problem was that we also were running retargeting and re-engagement ads on facebook so actually uh, the attribution was just mixing up so i was actually pretty uh, then i decided that i don't want to increase the spendings on google ads so i think a mission for us in 2021 was uh, it's also like how to find the right balance for the project that we work with because i think like the project like you and i are working on these products are typically like for push marketing right so it's like you create the demand about it it's not like the people are searching for a solution but you actually need to introduce in the majority of the cases and on the other hand if you look at it like google search or google shopping or amazon they are actually a pool marketing channel so people are actually looking for a solution for a best solution and your job is actually to be present in the on the at the right time on the right place and you cannot overspend on them because it's already the demand is there you cannot be pushing more the budgets unless yeah, yeah, yeah. that's what we realized like there is this certain amount of threshold that actually the way we realized it is uh, yeah, the same same thing happened. Our profitability dropped just significantly. And then I asked our Google agency to have a look at what our competitors are spending. And they were spending up to 35K. So I assumed that, okay, 15K goes for branding probably and um, another 20 for retargeting, you know, all of that. But once we put, what we did, we pushed past 60k and that's when mm. the whole thing broke so i decided that okay 35k and that's it no more yeah i think it's the really important to find the balance because maybe when you will also like increase the spendings on facebook maybe you can also like increase the spendings on google there or you may believe, maybe introduce like many more SKUs, and you can be really crushing it on google shopping i also know a lot of companies that are crushing with google shopping but they have like 50, 100 SKUs and up and more. So they can actually also like take advantage of the search volume on several different product categories. But if we only have one product category with low search volume, we, we can actually, yeah, we can always like create those branded search and buy our own uh, domain or the brand name. And we say, yeah, we're crushing it. But I, I also, I think it's really, hard to find the the right balance between what on google because at facebook it's like okay they, these are prospecting re-engagement retargeting and retention campaigns you look at the, the blended results and that's it it's on the i think on the when you analyze the results it's pretty simple uh, one thing that could become hard is when uh, 
let's say you overspend on re-engagement and retargeting and don't you don't keep up the balance like 70 to 80 for us it's 70 to 80 percent we try to spend of the total budget we try to spend on the prospecting site or cold traffic or top of the funnel however you want to call it but i think it's much easier to analyze the results but once you introduce different channels and each of the channel has their own attribution i think they're the the hardest part of the journey comes down to because then you you as a head of marketing or you're actually responsible on the profitability of the project then you need to make harder decision and for me it's like okay we want to go step by step first we will just do maybe facebook ads email marketing influencers then some google ads and then in the future we will see if it makes sense to try to spend like 50k on a new channel or maybe just focus on Facebook and spend like with the same uh, number of hour of hours invested. Maybe there we can actually spend three hundred k more. Yeah, and that's a big thing for me. Last year, I was trying to find new and new and new channels, you know, to be increasing, like scaling the businesses because we were scaling, you know, big time. But this year, it's like okay, I just actually this week. Basically, I decided that we will not be doing any more influencer pushes, like we call them, where they just post, you know, influencers post about it. Then we did affiliate marketing. We we are stopping that. And I cut uh, Google spend as well. So I'm just going to be, instead of agencies, I'm going to be using like a freelancer just to set up the branded and like all of the retargeting. Because I realized, you know, the more things you do that are not profitable and those who are, the things that are, meh like average you know maybe they are generating revenue maybe not maybe they are generating profitability profitability or not i said okay i'm just gonna cut everything that doesn't like that i'm on a on a verge to say yes or no you know like on the on the edge you know like i decided to let go of every person that that was in the channel that was like meh performing meh and let go of all of the tests as well and all of the things that we accumulated by growing business so quickly, you know, and just say no to most of the things and focus on the on the new, a few things which we actually, and this this kind of a mindset allowed me to come up with amazing, great ideas that we're going to launch in the market and I think we're going to crush it, you know, big time because I don't have to be worrying about management so much or whether affiliate marketing channel is working for us or influencer pushes are working for us or Google, you know, whether the Google agency, like it allowed me so much more space in my brain that I can be focusing on the things that matter the most, you know, and that's usually Facebook in combination with influencers and just tweaking your offer, whichever the offer is, you know, like if you get the offer right, doesn't matter the creative, doesn't matter the influencer, it's going to work, you know, so if you work on these things and drive traffic from Facebook, I think you can still crush it, you know, big time. And and in the US alone, you can be doing at least 70 mil if you have these things right. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree with you. And I, t- of a rant. Mm, I love the approach, man, really. Let's go to another question. Actually, before I go to another question, I wanted to put in another follow-up question for you. Um, okay. Like you mentioned about these influencers and how you're dealing with them and all of that, like, and also media buying side. Who is operating that? Like, have you hired someone? How does your team structure look like to operate 
such a it's not a complex machine but like pretty semi-complex you know like probably three or four people have to be involved plus influencers mm. and all of that so yeah interested to know yeah so for us it's we actually when we started uh and it was uh, a small team and uh, like only working on two projects everyone knew everything <laughs> so everyone was actually just included in everything we we all knew which influencers are we actually communicating with the deals and everything. But uh, when you grow and uh, you actually, you have several different projects, each of the projects actually have their own challenges. Something else is working on a, on a different project. Then we actually decided that we want to create teams on the project basis, like on the client. So for one client, we have a team with when we have like weekly meetings. And one of our media buyer is actually uh, responsible for creating briefs and for the post-production team and for communicating with the influencer marketing team. We found that it's really important to have only one person per project responsible for like uh, how this, let's say, department or part of the marketing will work. So the communication is not like three media buyers are communicating with one influencer per project, but only have one person communicating with one project, with uh, one person on the influencer marketing team. So we have like uh, strategies. When we talk about influencer marketing, we have one person that is influencer marketing manager, one media buyer. So there is the responsibility of the media buyer is you have to give feedback which creatives are actually working you also need to come up with the ideas together, okay, together with the rest of the team, but you need to give like mood boards, ideas, what kind of content we we would like to test in the upcoming month. And then the strategy is, the strategies is morely like, okay, to come up with some new ideas and be responsible for the project management side. So to say like, okay, we want to do this on, on this, this, this. So this is the deadline for this project. Usually, to tell you the truth, usually when you try to create deadlines for the influencer marketing side, we rarely hit them <laughs> because it's a communication person per, per person, and some of the influencers actually are need more time to respond to the messages. So we usually what we want to do in the current month we usually do in the upcoming one or two months so for us it's really important to have these weekly meetings to check up the process on what's the process on the media buying side what's the process on email marketing side what's the process on influencer marketing side and for each channel we have one person that is like a accountable for this channel and communicating with the other team members so the other head of the head of the departments for the channel yeah and um, is your team remote all of them remote or do you have an office no i actually have an office but we actually have like i would say 50 40 yeah so we have 12 13 13 sorry 13 and seven of them actually work in the office and it's not like they need to be there every day, but they have the they have the possibility to come to the office and six of, six of them are actually totally remotely. So they have a option if they want to come to the office or not. Awesome. 
Cool. Let's go to another question. Okay. Have you found any book recently that you found extremely valuable that you would like to share with this audience? Man, to be total transparent with you, I haven't read any interesting books in the two to three months. Sorry. I know I disappointed you, but <laughs> I really did it. I just listened to a couple of podcasts. For me, I think the one of the biggest change was to start at analyzing the founders and the e-commerce businesses, not trying to learn from the marketing gurus anymore. So it was for me at this stage, especially like when the project project is growing pretty fastly and in this case like the one client that we work with they are right now at 2.1 million per month right now it's not about the media buying hacks for us it's not about the media buying hacks we can actually read all the articles right now i think it's uh, really important to to analyze the mindset and the strategy of the big e-commerce businesses maybe one one book that I actually read, and it's um, it's because of my background. I was a huge basketball fan, and I still am. And uh, Michael Jordan, uh, I assume you know him. Here, actually, they introduced this documentary, The Last Dance, from them. I watched it. Yeah, I watched it. Okay, it's uh, awesome. So, if you love it, read the book from Tim Grover. He was actually a personal trainer from him. And he worked with him for, I think, 13 years. So he was his personal trainer. And he was also a personal trainer of, if you look at it, like 10 of the greatest uh, basketball players in the last 30 years, he coached seven of them. And uh, the book is Relentless from Tim Grover. And he talks about the mindset of what kind of mindset these these superstars of basketball had to be reaching these kind of results. And I think this is one book that actually just gave me a great insight. uh, What kind of mindset do you actually need? It's not like I want to be like 100% similar to that, but it, it provides me with really good approaches and see what kind of uh, struggles today did they had and uh, different types of people he worked with. So I would ev- definitely recommend to read book Relentless or just to watch some uh, YouTube videos from Tim Grover. Tim Grover is the was the personal trainer for Michael Jordan. Awesome. What are the challenges that you are seeing uh, in the 2021? Like we can, we are expecting the iOS change, which we don't have a clue how it's going to affect us. But actually, now that I think in Europe, 80% of people are using Android instead of iOS. So it might not be that bad in Europe, right? Yeah, um, it's like I actually look at the data, I think one or two weeks ago. So it's really interesting. We actually have, like for different projects, we have several different uh, age groups that are uh, presenting the majority of the customers. So on one case, we have uh, like more uh, fitness, fitness style brand and the population there, the majority of the customers are actually between 22 to 30 years old. And I look at the data and then the percentage of the iOS users was, I think it was 26, something like that. 
And for the other projects where I analyzed it, it was actually, I analyzed the customers and check which op operating system are they using. And on the other cases, it's usually between, for us, it's between 12 to 18. So it's low. I think, yeah, it's really low. So, but, uh, but also the age group there is between 30 to 45. So I think it's also, it comes down to which age group are you actually targeting? And for the fitness brand, it's also, you can see that the, uh, the percentage of Insta, um, the purchases that come from influencers, no, sorry, from Instagram, it's much, it's much higher than the average of the other projects. So we can actually look up who, and we see the connections. So the brands that actually have the higher percentage of the total purchases from Instagram also have higher percentage of iOS users. Yeah. So it seems that the Instagram is used by, uh, yeah, on iOS, like the, but it's still like 26% is like, I mean, it will not be affected as much as the US brands because for us, for example, yeah. it's 80% of iOS users. Yeah. And it's, it's strange for me. I, I lived in Europe and actually I just bought um, iOS just because I uh, I wanted to get on Clubhouse. Uh, Fares was telling me that we should be doing one. So I just went and bought uh, an iOS. But for for the past, whatever, 20 years that I have a phone, like it's been Android. <laughs> I mean, not 20 years. I'm like, maybe 10. What did you, which brand did you use? Xiaomi. Lately it was Xiaomi because it was, the best quality I uh -huh. think, for the price as well okay. but uh, yeah i just got ios and uh, it's gonna be interesting because it's i can see now as well like mm. i see the value of using the same things that our customers are using or or reading the same books like i mean you have to know everything about your customer and now since i have ios and i'm going to our website i'm like oh wow this didn't look like this on android you know it's like very different or it's slower or it's quicker, you know, and all of that. It's it's super fascinating, like uh, learning a new thing. Like, yeah, just mm -hmm. learning a new language with the learning by learning the customers. It's like great marketers are great. Uh, they could become probably great actors, you know, where you have to get into the role of the, of the person that you are acting. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, pretty much similar to marketing, I would say. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with you. For, for us, like here, this part of Europe, like uh, Samsung, Huawei, the, the brands are also huge and they, they are not obviously iOS. So I think this is also the reason. Yeah, so I wouldn't say that I'm scared of the iOS changes. I know that we will respond to them. I actually, when all the debate was just going on, what do you need to do and what kind of tips? Also, some of the people were actually creating these documents. They were that were 60 pages long. So uh, I won't lie to you. And they were saying the same thing. <laughs> they were saying the yeah, same yeah, thing. Yeah. Like we don't know what's gonna happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They were like writing about why Apple did it, why how Facebook is responding to it. But the reality is that we still don't know what uh, practically will happen. I think we did like domain verifications, create a server-to-server -server communication and so on. So these were some of the basis, basic things that we needed to do. But yeah, we will see down the road what will happen. I think it won't be such a huge hit as people are explaining, but we will see. It's hard to know. Uh, we will see how the people will respond. And I think we as a marketer and if you work in the e-commerce business i think the more one of the most 
important um, skills that you can have is to be agile and just trying to respond quickly to the stuff that are on the market. But on the other hand, not get too high or too low before the changes are happening because it's a hot topic and everyone is talking about it, but I still haven't found a person that would say like, okay, you look, this is going to happen. You're going to lose like 60% of the target group. The algorithm will be fucked up. You won't be able to track the results. So it's, I, I think it actually comes down to, yeah, try to prepare, but wait to see what's going to happen and then just respond to the changes. As always, try to respond to the changes that are happening. Yeah, it's also like uh, when the COVID hit, like, okay, yeah, at the beginning was, fuck, no one is going to buy. We will actually, I was actually thinking about that some of, some big financial crisis will happen like this month in March. For here, it was actually like March. I was really scared, but on the one end, I was like, I was dealing with the situation that everything could go down and uh, we could just close down the company so many times. And I was super scared, like multiple times. And at the end of it, I just learned that it's important to wait. And sometimes the crazy, the scariest things that you will be actually waiting for can turn down to the greatest, one of the greatest opportunities that you will have in your career. So we will see what happens with that. Yeah. And as well, like all of this mess, you know, last year for myself as well, Mm. I know that we have done multiple mistakes, but the learnings were just immense. I mean, when the next time, when something similar happens next time, I'll, I'll know exactly. I mean, I will not know exactly what to do, but I can, I will be prepared, you know, for all of the challenges and I will be sure to be looking at the, I will know at least where to direct my attention. Yeah. And regarding the question that you actually gave me, the challenges that I think will happen was one, so one we just talked about like iOS, how will it actually affect the attribution? One challenge I think for us would also be like, how to find the right balance between different channels. I know that we don't want to expand to uh, many channels, but to find like the right balance between, okay, out of the total spent, how much will we actually spend like on Google? How much will we actually spend on influencer marketing? How much, how many product launches can we actually have? But to tell you the truth, like going into the second year of our business, I think, one of the challenges that we will face will be like how to create how to obviously how to find the right people because i think the the people are actually the driving force of the business and how to create like a great or a very effective system around them to operate on those projects to have like a very effective project management how to communicate with the clients how to be them with uh, how to be there when it comes down to very important decisions on their path and just trying not to get too high or too low because on one end you can find that one month you can be actually crushing it and one month you can actually be losing money for the business. So I think it's really important to look at it like not to get too high or too low and trying to create uh, 
plan how to create like these big businesses on the long term. Because I know I actually been there when we hit like for one business when we were actually making eight million per month. But I don't know how like 50, 50 million or 20 million looks like. And I think the challenge will be how to talk with the right people and how to actually implement the stuff that are necessary to grow these businesses. Yeah, and it's always going to be there. Like you always need to find the right people to talk to. You always need to make the right decisions and at the right time. And that's why, like it's what you mentioned about listening to the founders, what they were doing and what kind of mindset or maybe what kind of decisions that they make in the business is super, super useful. Because you can get like, you can understand or try to understand what at what point did they make that decision to introduce that project or that traffic source or that you know uh, system or whatever because challenges are the way i see in e-commerce space or any kind of business like they each level has its own challenges and like we're mostly now i'm dealing with the challenge of how to go over three million per month with one with one brand we we went over three million and we went to 10 million even one month but it was obviously november so it's not like a regular month right but it's like a very different uh, kind of skill set that you need. And I, when I was po- talking to Faras as well, like he is uh, managing one brand that is generating roughly three million plus per month right now. And and I see the way we are doing it, and it's very very similar. And the the problems are the same. And actually, like my recommendation, or not recommendation, but those who are who haven't achieved two point five mil uh, in a monthly revenue to get to the next level is something super painful for me at least like an entrepreneur or as a person who loves to run you know like to sprint in business it's like to to yeah just run as quickly as possible that at that at 25 million points you slow down like because it's all about processes it's all about hiring the right people because you cannot lift the company to 50 mil by yourself you have to have a team and you have to have management you have to have processes and all of these things that I'm not the most excited to know building up, but uh, yeah, it's a different kind of challenge. That's that's when you start needing, like that's when you need to be hiring the right people and how to identify them. And that's a very, very different kind of challenge and very, yeah, it's, it's n- not something that my brain naturally does. Man, but I know that you will get there because you're actually researching all the resourcing you you talk to other people, so I know that maybe you have uh, like some downside, or you actually you actually have some you hit the mark, like you said. Okay, for you the challenge is three millions, but but I don't think the challenge is actually three million. But it's I think it maybe comes down to okay, my role uh, leading the company to three million was this, and now like we want to go further. I need to do this, so I need to find the people so to so, so to yeah. actually create like a system that enables you like a sustainable long term growth uh, to actually offer them because for us, yeah, as a marketer, when you start with the business like doing fifty k one hundred k and you get to one one million and you're opening a champagne like and everything you're super hyped up about it it's it's the mo- I think it's the most exciting part. And I think the part of the business when you come down to how to create a sustainable 
long long term sustainable business that could actually grow and could actually add uh, people to like expand to other channels, countries, how to actually create effective system for testing. I think it's more long term investment and it's much harder to create because otherwise I think many more companies would reach that point. But I think it's really a fun fun experience and I think we together will learn a lot on this journey. Yeah, I actually spoke to some investors and um, in the US and they said that uh, usually investors are paying attention to businesses that reach around 70 million point just because they know about these struggles, what I'm talking about, 25 million, 50 million, and then 50 million plus, you know, it's like from 25 million to 50, you need to change most of the systems, most of the people that you have in the company, but from 50 to 100, it's okay. Like it's pretty much the same company, like the same people, the same systems can take you there. So these investors know already that like, okay, if the business survived this, this gap between 25 million to 50 million, that means that they'll probably be like sustainable business. That's something that we can be investing money or buying uh, the business out as well. Mm, yeah, agree, man. It was actually uh, for for me in my career one of the turning one of the crucial points I would say was the, when I was actually visiting Facebook offices in Dublin, and one of the one of my then she became like my mentor. She said, like, in that case, so on that project that we work, we actually grew to 1.5 million in two and a half years. So for me, it was like, oh, fuck, we did it. Like, we made it. This is a huge growth. None of the people that I knew actually was hitting this number. And she opened my eyes when she said, like, you're not a sustainable business. And I was super shocked. Because I say, come on, we are actually making 1.5 million per month. This is a lot of money. How can you call us not a sustainable business? And the problem for us was actually that we were depending only on six different products. So we sold like six different products in five different markets. And she tell, okay, uh, four of these six products will die. How big are you? How many customers will actually come back and buy other products from you? And then I was just realized that, yeah, it doesn't come down to sales and how much we can actually spend on Facebook. And then I was like just creating, I joined the company and I created a team that could actually do marketing on more markets become a stronger player on each of these country and trying to create a more sustainable business and the results was that we were actually making like around 40 million euros per year but if you would ask me and if the end of the journey do we have like a system that give us the ability to say that we are not we are a sustainable business i would still call it no <laughs> so i think it's really important to actually it doesn't it doesn't just come down to numbers and i believe like you mentioned like this gap between 40 or 30 to 
becoming a company that is doing like 60, 70 million, 100 million, I think you need a totally different knowledge, totally different experience from the people and just totally different processes. And I'm more, I'm really excited about like learning this, all this in the upcoming years because David, as we are really young, so we will need to work for many more years. So, <laughs> but I believe we will get there. I, I have lots of Bitcoin, so I might not be needing uh, to work a lot <laughs> more. <laughs> <laughs> but I think you still will work well. <laughs> yeah. You can tell that you won't work, but I know that you will work. It's the addiction to game, to the game. Like even though you sometimes can hate yeah. it, but the addiction to it is like immense. Like you wake up and you are excited to be. I mean, you are not excited to be. You are not waiting maybe for these challenges to come, but one day wait. You are just like, okay, I'm gonna figure it out. You know. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Yura, for being on this podcast. Any any last words that you would like to tell to our audience? Huh. Yeah. Uh, maybe one thing that I actually learned in last year for me was super helpful, and it was actually like trying to be more self-aware. So for me, it was actually, I think I just, uh, like when you do uh, e-commerce, digital marketing, you and you are all around numbers and talking to people and everyone, or not everyone, but a lot of people are just getting like to higher numbers than you and you just get the feeling like, fuck, I'm really bad. I'm just do I'm at this, I'm at this stage and they are at that stage. Just please keep in mind that they need to invest it like a lot of time and money to get to that stage and you can learn from that from them but just trying to stay on your own lane and if it's okay if you don't want to build a company that goes to 100 mil or 200 mil or 1 billion or something like that it's okay so i for me it was really just uh, i also started like going to therapy and talking to my therapist, I think also Bustian mentioned this. It's not the same therapist, but it's it was really so I was really interesting to listen to his journey and what kind of impact this had on his career. For me, it was also like I think I invested a lot in 2020 on just get to know myself, my wish, my wishes, and at the end of the day, it's really important to do the stuff that you do because of yourself not because you want to show some awesome results to others. So I think this would be actually my last message to the audience. And David, it's always fun to talk to you. So thank you for the invite. And sorry that you have to wait for our podcast for, I think it was <laughs> one or two months, right? All good, all good. Yura, where can people find you? For me, it was, I think the, the best option would be LinkedIn. So Jurek Nechtel, I think you can actually copy paste it from the name of the uh, podcast because it's uh, hard to remember. All the all so Slovenian people actually have a lot of problem with uh, writing down my name, so it would would be most easy to just copy paste it from the Sugatan podcast name. Find me on LinkedIn and let's chat there. Awesome! Thanks a lot for being on this podcast. Cool. Thank you, David.